Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Sid Meier's Civilization VI. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks oh, what we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we talk about games. Typically, we start off this podcast by talking about tabletop games. But uh, unfortunately, we didn't actually meet any of our tabletop games this week. Though I will plug Reno. Uh, both of our games next week are going to be featured on the front page of Twitch. Um... I will be running specifically a special session of Hell's Rebels, but I don't actually know about the specifics of what's going on with Rune Lawrence. Um, but the you know they're both on next week. They're going to be on the front page of Twitch. Uh, we'll be interacting with the chat a little bit more, I think. Um, and um, yeah, but uh, I can talk a little bit about. Uh, I played my first game of Five E this weekend. Oh, dude, yeah, that, I do want to hear about that, actually. I want to hear about that very badly. <laughs> so, so, so what do you want to specifically want to hear about? Mm. I don't know. I, um, I'm i very interested by 5e. 5e has gone through a very interesting, like a funny, I guess, kind of life cycle um, in terms of kind of like the zeitgeist that I see because um, I follow a lot of kind of like RPG accounts on Twitter and right I'm subscribed to subreddits and all that other kind of stuff. Um, when it first came out, it was very, very highly regarded. It, I, I think the the feedback on the, the updates to the systems to the game um, was, uh, was very positive, right? And that it was overall a really good step into the future. Um, and at this point, I think... Um, that is almost entirely reversed. Everyone uh, I seem to read, um, you know, looks at 5e uh, with a certain amount of almost, I guess, disdain from a systemic perspective. So, really? Yeah, I don't know, you know? I don't know what to tell you. Um, so, yeah, just kind of kind of in a word, it's... Um, I'm, I'm at first level, um, and it feels very similar to any other first level game um, in, in any D&D-like system. Um... I do like some of the changes they made. They've made some efforts to incorporate um, from some story-based systems some some kind of mechanical rewards for story actions. Like, there's this mechanic called Inspiration where um, if you can kind of tie what you're doing to what your character does, like, like something specific about your character, right? Like, my character um, has an intense hatred of kobolds. Um, and we fought some kobolds, and... Um, I uh, essentially invoked that at one point to get advantage on a save. Advantage means you roll twice and take the better. Fair enough. Um, the same, I guess, as the fourth e four e mechanic about it. Um, I I'm not super familiar with with that four e mechanic. Um, and uh, and you get your inspiration. Um, I think at the start of a adventure, or the start of a session. Um, and then if you play into if if you play into those same things. Um, as like a flaw, right? Like if, if I were to say, go to a King's court and he had a kobold advisor into like openly insult or attack him or something, I would then get that inspiration back as kind of like a reward for playing to the negative aspects of my, uh, character, um, which I, um, I like, I, I like those kind of mechanics in other games and I, I like how it's filled out, although I'm not convinced it's, it, there's enough of it, right? Like, I don't know if I'll. I part of me feels like it's also a little bit hard, uh, easy to kind of game. Um, I'll I I have to play with it a little bit more to see how it works out. I like the idea and concept. I was not sure how sold I am on the practicality of it. Um, 
On the other hand, some th- some things that I very kind of universally like are a lot of the numbers are kind of boiled down really hard. There's not as much kind of like optimization that's even possible, which I think in in the overall scheme is it of true things that, is good. Uh, is it true that the numbers have been relatively depressed compared yes, to like the Pathfinder? Yes. Okay. Yeah, like the current. That's like, something. That's something that I've heard a lot. Of. By the way, I think that's something that is overall extremely good. Um, yeah. Um, the, the, the danger there, like the, the good thing there is that, you know, your level one characters have a shot against something that's a couple levels higher than them. The negative of course, is that, um, it might not be enough separation for people to feel like they're truly making progress. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I mean, to me, I think, um, to me, I think it's, it's necessary coming from Pathfinder, um, just kind of like a macro macro game design principle that this speaks to is um, the weight of the dice, right? As you get higher and higher level and your modifiers get higher and higher, right? Because your modifiers are are flat, right? Let's say I, I'm, a, I'm a level 5 character and I have a plus 10 to attack, which is fairly reasonable, um, versus I'm a level 15 character and I have a plus 20 to attack, right? Well... The, the overall share of the number that I'm creating, right, the percentage of the number that I'm creating that comes from my die roll goes down as I am leveling up. And I think to a certain extent that that's good, right? Like, I think you know, it emphasizes your ability to get better and create more consistent outcomes for yourself as a, as a, um, as a character to be able to pump certain stats or whatever um, and de-emphasize the randomness of the die roll. But I think as you get into the, like, the high, 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 high levels, this is where we run into the situation where I hit on a two, right? Um, and uh, and so depressing the – doing a stat squish, if I'm going to use a, a wow term for it, um, I think is a great answer to those problems uh, that crop up over the course of a game. Yeah. Um, also, a lot of the – kind of your traditional bonuses and whatever have been instead rolled into this advantage disadvantage system, mm. which is um, instead of, you know, mo- instead of most things giving you like, you know, pl- a plus two or something, it gives you advantage um, or disadvantage. And advantage means you roll twice and take the higher. Disadvantage means you roll twice and take the lower. Um, you can only ever have one on a roll. Like if you have advantage and disadvantage, it cancels out. If you have two advantages and one disadvantage, they cancel out. Um, you know, if you have seven advantages and one disadvantage, they cancel out, um, and vice versa. Um, and so, and so you're you're only ever rolling twice once, which I think I think is neat. Um, I think in some ways that could be um, a little bit like I think in some ways that that, that could be vulnerable to to uh, oversimplification. Um, but I think a big part of that too, is that there's a lot less opportunity, like something about like three, five and Pathfinder is kind of like this, um, reliance on, I, I like on, on feats almost is kind of like this, this really big factor in your character, you know, Pathfinder gives, gives you one every other level. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like really shape your character, but feats are an entirely optional system in 5e. Um, and they're a lot more impactful, but you're also swapping them out for a stat increase. So that's that's actually where a lot of your stat, like your number increases, come from. Is like, is you get stat increases as you progress instead. And there's like a hard cap at eighteen or twenty. I can't remember which. Um, for your stats too, so you can't ever get too far out there. Um, 
And so interesting. You, you wow, you that get, is super interesting. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's like a a, a really cool system that kind of keeps everything um, together. I also like some very specific things, like um, when you are uh, say using a range weapon. There's instead of like range increments, you have a a a a short range and a long range mm. and if you're in between short and long you are rolling at disadvantage and that's the whole thing i think that's very elegant very easy none of this like kind of range increment calculating um it helps things uh flow smoother um things like heavy ar- like um heavy armor um like there's like a flat armor check penalty which just it's again it's disadvantage for things that would have an armor check penalty heavy armor doesn't allow an armor uh, or dexterity bonus, but it also cancels out any disadvantage. So I think that's a neat option for players. Right. Um, and just little little specific things like that. One of the, one of my favorites is uh, for casters. Um, most of your kind of utility spells can be cast as rituals, which take ten minutes, but um, but don't use up any sort of spell slot, and they don't need to be prepared or anything. So you never feel like you know as the mage that you need to prepare Tensor's floating disc. Um. Like in unless you're planning on doing something cheeky with it that requires you to cast it in combat very quickly, um, having Tensor's floating disc as a ritual means that you can at any time just be like, okay, we need Tensor's floating disc, and we've got ten spare minutes because we're not under any pressure. I can make the disc. It's not a problem. I've not given up any of like my combat capability for that, which I think is really cool. Um, I think the classes are very creative. They all um they all kind of like circle around this kind of um, set where like the classes all have these little, f- these distinct feels to them, but around the third level, you kind of get to pick one of three branching paths. And usually they kind of um, either make you really good at one thing or kind of hybridize you. Like um, I'm playing a warlock and at level three, I will get the choice between getting a pet, um, getting a spell book to expand my spell casting abilities because they're kind of mediocre as a hybrid as is already kind of a hybrid caster okay. or the or the ability to kind or the ability to um essentially be a soul knife almost I get to create a weapon out of like thought stuff um and so like you kind of get one of three options you can either be a pet class a, uh, more a, uh, a a caster or a more of a bruiser which I think is neat rogue similarly has like a an assassin, a trickster, and like an arcane variant fighters. Like, uh, there's um, the thing I noticed the most is that most pure martial classes, their third option is like a light battle mage type spec, which I thought is neat. Thought was neat. You know, like it's not you know obviously nearly as, as strong of a caster as um, a a pure a pure caster, but it's um, cool to kind of let the, allow those things to play around. Um, there's also kind of like like for the fighter, there's like a weapons master and like a warlord type character. Um, the mechanics are different enough that they don't work kind of the same way that, that your warlord does. Um, but like, it's, it's obviously kind of that, that support kind of role. Like it's like a, as uh, with the fighter as like a tactician or a general rather than necessarily being just a, a meathead. Okay. Um, and I, I like all of these things just to kind of um, put it out there. I, I think that the game plays really well. I think it's, good at keeping things moving. I think if you do relish in the crunch and kind of the grognardiness of that kind of thing, you might not like the system as much, right? Like if I am looking for like, you know, a Nick style crunch down, uh, Fiesta, 
I'm going to want to play Pathfinder over 5e. But if I want kind of like um, an, ad an adventure kind of like... Yeah. To me, this this kind of marries a lot of the things I really like about the heavier story based systems, and the the like. There's just enough crunch there for me to kind of be like, oh, I like this, but not so much there that I can be like, and now I can twist this and kind of ass ass rape the game, um, into uh into oblivion with my with my optimization, um, and I think that's also really good because we've got particularly a mixed party of people who have never played before, um, somebody who's played intermediately and me who's kind of like the the, the quote-unquote um, experienced expert along with the, the, the GM. Um, and um, not that I'm trying to break it, but, like, I, you know, the the gamer in me always looks to break it, and I right, can't yeah, find no, a way I to break it. I understand that tension. Yeah, like, I, I can't find a, a, a way to easily, like, uh, to, to easily break it, which is good, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, well, uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear... I don't know. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Do you have any specific questions? I, you know, I was trying to think of something. You really did cover a lot of the bases that I was uh, that I was thinking about. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've seen um, it really cropped up around Gen Con where people were talking about uh, kind of the lack, I suppose, of Wizards' uh, presence at at Gen Con. So I, I, yeah, I wonder they, they if had maybe there's presence at PAX, I believe. Yeah, I wonder if there's maybe something of kind of like a resentment there. Um, oh yeah, they've they've abandoned the hardcore gamer crowd for uh, for 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 the video gamer millennials. Yeah, I uh, mean, sure, and you know, I think Gen Con. Um, Gen Con, know. in a lot of ways, is Paizo's show for for D and D type games. That, the, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to say. I don't know. I I like to a certain extent. I I want there to be a lot of competition. I like the idea that kind of Paizo has risen to the challenge, right? Of uh, of of kind of Wizards' dominance of all of this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I think it's a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Wizards was just like, you know what, we're just gonna let that one go, kind of thing. Um, though I was extremely surprised to see that they didn't have a presence at, at Gen Con uh, at all, you know, it just yeah, so... it's it's scary. Gygax is con, right? Yeah, like he... yeah, you would think. Um, um, you would think. Yeah, but anyways, um... oh. maybe maybe if if we put on our our, our little tinfoil hats, maybe the anti wizard sentiment was was stirred up by Paizo to get be, pe make people be like, yeah, fuck <laughs> wizards, we're gonna buy more Paizo books at Gen Con. Yeah, I wonder no if wizards, wizards looks at that as a failure between kind of like three, five, and four e, right? Like, does some marketing guy at wizards look at Paizo and they just go like, why the fuck did we ever abandon four e? Why didn't we just revamp the rules like these guys? Or, or sorry, three five, right? Why did we abandon? You know, why didn't we revamp the rules like these guys? We just left all this money on the table, kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't have a. I don't know. I also don't know. Like, I'm sure Paizo does very well for themselves, but I, I, I had a, um, a, a former project manager who used to work at Wizards, um, and was an editor for their magazine, and he, and he said that the Magic guys just kind of like bullied the D and D guys because the magic guys made all the money and the D and D guys were kind of like the nerds in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't think Paizo is a big, you know, I don't think Paizo is a big company by any means. Right. Anybody who's been to any one of their panels, right. In, uh, uh, in Gen Con, they, they have a huge kind of presence, I think in like the overall gaming zeitgeist and everything like that. But they are, there are a remarkable, 
uh, a remarkably few number of people, I feel like, who um, make up the company in general, yeah. I guess. Uh, Wizards, to me, feels a lot more on par with something like... Activision, right? Whereas Paizo is a little bit more homegrown uh, than that kind of just like yeah, massive like, like corporation. Paizo feels like a double fine and kind of like that they're a giant, they're a giant in personality wise, but not necessarily in size. Yeah, that might be uh, that is a great, great way to put it. I think. Of course, this is all also scaled down like ten to a hundred times because <laughs> nobody <laughs> buys tabletop games. Um, yeah, that I mean, oh, hey, I think it's just a it's a brutal market to be honest. Um, yeah. But uh, but you know you know neither of us uh, have the NBA to talk about this kind of stuff really, so don't listen to us. Um, but uh, um, uh, you also played other games. I didn't play any other games. I played Civ and I played WoW this week. So um, I mean, we haven't talked about seven point one at all, so we could do that. Um, like I think that's big that's enough true. news to, to to warrant like a real. We talk. actually did get all the way through Karazhan except for almost the final boss. Uh, uh, we like <laughs> we almost got the final boss, but uh, we were defeated by the uh, by by the great uh, the great uh, bug. The spaghetti code, boss. Yeah, the yeah the yeah the boss of spaghetti master of the spaghetti code. Yeah, we um we joined as a five man group and we just spent like five hours. It was like Sunday night. Uh, we spent like five hours in Karazan and it was um. Honestly, it was great. It was one of the best dungeons experiences I think I've ever had in my life. Um, that is that is precisely what I want, right? Um, that's you know, it's that that is the same kind of feeling that like progression rating brings out, right? Um, but uh, but like even more kind of compacted and and distilled. Right, because it is with a core, core group of friends, and you can really tell, right, like where your contribution matters um, compared to in rating, where it, it feels a lot more like you are a cog in the machine. But, um, but yeah, no. So we, we almost got to the end boss of Karazan, but um, uh, we got to the the couple of bosses before it. I think Karazan is fantastic, just absolutely fantastic content. Um, what I am most interested and happy about. Um, ironically is the boss fight design i think the boss fights in that in that dungeon are so well designed they're so interesting and they've got a lot of flavor and they're unique i i am i am i am floored by how much i think the boss design in karazan is uh is good um how do you how do you feel i know i i agree 100 i think that the um that it, it feels it feels unique like everything feels just so, so colorful. Along with the like, like almost every boss fight is accompanied by a little bit of a, uh, uh, like a an RP scene where you get to see a little uh, a, a little movie of of uh, something I minor that happens. That. So that is another. You know, I I think that's a very big thing for Blizzard to um, to get in the game. Um, you know, it, there is so much to this game that is built on Warcraft, Warcraft Two, and Warcraft three um but i think you know it's actually easy to kind of miss those details i i see this because you know we're obviously on an rp server um i'm the rp officer in our rp guild so my 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 proximity to the lore is very very great but you see this a lot with people who come to the game and they don't you know they don't have a full picture of what the lore is right um and really how much you know, you get a lot of people who do this kind of thing where, like, I grew up in, you know, 
uh, you know, like human RP is like, uh, is, is like this very often. It's like, I grew up in Goldshire and I lived there all my life and I was a blacksmith there. And because, you know, people, this is the kind of backstory that you craft for a D&D character, right? It's, you know, it's bare bones. It's very basic. It's very straightforward, right? But if you actually map that kind of basic uh, backstory onto the timeline, it doesn't make much sense in the context of it because, you know, Stormwind is what gets hit during the first war, right? So if your character is over 20 years old, right, it is incredibly unlikely that he actually was able to just hang out and live in, in Goldshire because the Dark Portal opens, you know, to the east. They rampage across, completely sack and destroy Stormwind, uh, and all of these Stormwind refugees flood to, uh, you know, the, the, northern, the northern human cities, right? Lordaeron, Gilneas, Stromgard kind of thing, right? Um, and, and it's easy to miss that stuff, right? It's easy to kind of get, get hooked into what you might see in World of Warcraft and not see... What, everything else that goes on in in like the context of the Warcraft um, uh, universe, and uh, so I think it is a fundamentally great thing that Blizzard wants to reintroduce those aspects and 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 get that get that out there to the players who aren't like me and are going to you know spend hours and hours of their life pouring over Wowpedia. Yeah. No. Uh- Absolutely, um, I I do think one of the the bigger things about um about Karazin as well is that like um like like I, I kind of want to I really want to stress what what you said about the boss fights being unique, right? Like I am so used to dungeons being like, well, this one is a don't stand in the bad and attack the ads fight, you know? Like they, they, mm. there's a lot of bosses that feel very formulaic, um, and I feel like they've only really stretched their like, like, like they, they do some unique things with the rates, and even them, those are start to kind of roll towards, oh, okay, well, this mechanic's like that, and this mechanic's like that. Um, but I think this started with Court of Stars. Um, a Court of Stars is a three-boss dungeon. It's relatively short, and it's locked behind Mythic Gaining, so I think they just wanted to make sure that they could do this without it falling on their face with Court of Stars. Right. Um, um, and then they, and then they, they went to, um, uh, to, I, I think when, when Court of Stars was at least not... I haven't seen a lot that said that Court of Stars was great. I think it's great. Um, but I also haven't seen a lot that said it was bad. I have, um, only, I, I have only ever done it once, so I don't have a good sense on whether or not I uh, like yeah. it or dislike it from a mechanics perspective. I, I mean, from, from the individual bosses, like, like uh, I don't know. The thing that always struck with me about Court of Stars is, is the last last piece of that dungeon is like a clue game. Um, yeah, which that I thought is definitely was awesome. very cool. To be honest, I, I, I agree um, with you there. I think once you know that Blizzard could gauge, just like n- nobody's like, oh, we hate this bullshit, right? And the, and and that it was you know at least not terribly received. They felt free to kind of go all out with Karazhan because those boss fights are like are so different than anything else. I think I've 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 played in 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 World of Warcraft at at, at all from. Uh, like there was, I think a little bit of it in Pandaria with, with some of the goofier, like, like I think the, um, uh, the, the, what, what is it? The Storm Stout Brewery, I, I think had a little bit. I actually reference that as soon as you brought up Pandaria. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree. Um, I also think, you know, I, I think in general, the boss fights of this, um, it's funny. I think Pandaria had a lot of kind of goofier and out there mechanics. Uh, same thing with Wrath of Lich King, right? Wrath of Lich King, um, uh had a lot of kind of out there mechanics 
And those mechanics had... And then I think there's kind of like a slow burn on kind of like figuring out how to communicate with the player, right? Um, how to communicate what's going on without add-ons, without DBM, right? And it's little things, right? You know, you have shadow crashes that put a big thing on the floor, but the you know the projectile has a slow travel time. gives you you know it gives you the time you need to move out of it. That's not a burning crusade mechanic, right? That's not that's not a vanilla WoW mechanic, right? Those mechanics um, would would fire instantly and they would you know they would go off without without a hitch kind of thing. Um, that that is very much kind of like a new WoW mechanic, uh, I guess you would kind of say, and I think. Warlords is the be is actually the best stepping stone to getting that transparency across to the player, but they did it with very mundane mechanics overall, right? Like I think I think a lot of those bosses, I think a lot of those dungeons were very kind of rote and they were well designed from a communications perspective, but terribly designed from just like uh, I'm having fun engaging with this boss fight. And so Legion has the benefit of like, you know, years and years, right? But it also has this benefit of um uh, it also has this benefit of the warlord's accessibility uh, at the same time that it has kind of, right, like these interesting boss mechanic designs. I, you know, I, I, and look, I also think that there's the, you know, I think Court of Stars dungeons are great, right? And I also think Care dungeons are great to a certain extent. But I also definitely understand that, you know what, like, Naltharian's Lair is a dungeon with very straightforward boss fights, right? Really, the, you know, the mechanics are... are you, it's like a one sentence. Each of those bosses are like a one sentence boss. You don't have to explain very much kind of thing. Um, and I also appreciate those for what they are because um, I also think that the gimmick, you know, like if you are too hard with the gimmicks, it can be frustrating, right? Because, you know, at some point I just want to sit on the boss fight. I'd fucking like wail with, you know, you know what I mean? Like I just want to, I want to hit my rotation, right? That's what Rock Mora is essentially on, uh, uh, in Neltharian's lair. Um, and so it has a good balance of both, is my point. Yeah, uh, so I think kind of along with that, too, is, so there's, you mentioned, uh, uh, Wrath of the Lich King. Um, I think there's been this trend, which I think is generally a good trend, um, for raids to be less reliant on, uh, perfection from all members of the raid. Like, usually if you fuck up in a raid fight... It means your death, and if enough of that happens, it means the raid wipes because right. um, you can't like you can't sustain. But it, it's got like little bits of uh, of flexibility, and it's all to kind of like personal reaction, right? Like it's it's not like your your actions usually don't cause the entire like everybody else to die. Um, and I think that they can wheel that back out a little bit. Those those kind of things that require deep communication and good synchronization. I think we can wheel that back out with dungeons because it's only five people. Yeah. And that's I really that's what Kara felt like to me. Like fighting Shadow of Medivh, um, like the communication there, like we were all on voice chat, it all works. Um, and we all had to have a high amount of synchronization because there's only five of us. Um, one, we're all already tight knit. Like there's, there's you know, um, I think pugging, with a bad group of Kara people would be a nightmare. Definitely, um, I think pugging. Uh, I think pugging Kara almost from the get go would be a nightmare. To be honest, um, I, I think it would work if you had a bunch of people who had done it a couple times already. Um, but like you know, I'm seeing posts like, "No, the fights." It's like it's been out for a week, and like there's <laughs> horrible instancing problems. Yeah. Like, what the fuck do you expect? And you can you can only do it once, right? Like, I guess you could 
run it through to run, uh, to to learn the fights, but you know I don't think most people are like that. Um, yeah, well, uh, you know what was uh, what, what do you think was your favorite fight in Karazan? Oof. Um, I don't mind if you need time. It go, why don't you go with yours while I think uh, about it? Mine is definitely Shade of Medivh. Um, I think Shade of Medivh does the... You know, I, I think there's a couple of things your boss needs to do, right? One, in have, have kind of engaging mechanics. Um, uh, two, I think it has to present, like, a, you know, a certain amount of challenge to the raid uh, or, to, to the, or to the group. Um, three, I think it needs to be relatively unique. I think when boss fights can be described in the context of other boss fights that's a bad thing if that like happens too much kind of thing um but four and this fourth one is what really like i think all of the bosses in karazan have all of those three right but the fourth one is the one that really puts it over the edge for me it's that the shade of Mediv so beautifully encapsulates um the fantasy of fighting an incredibly powerful archmage right all he does is cast spells. Some and, and it, it, it so there have been other bosses like this before, right? Like, like all they do is kind of cast spells or whatever. But the lion's share of them, like you know, they're not interruptible, right? The spells are just kind of a flimsy excuse for really weird kind of random mechanics. But no, 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 no. You know, he uses one. He uses he has three basic abilities, three ultimate abilities. Um, the basic abilities are souped up versions of mage specs, right? He has Inferno Bolt, then he has Frostbite, uh, then he has Piercing Missiles, right? That is obviously Fire Frost Arcane, right? Then he has the, um, you know, the the Winter Chill one. Uh, he has the Flame Wreath one, and then he has the split into the Arcane Birds one, right? It's the you know, and and, and so that kind of elegance is something that really really appeals to me. But it's also a fight where it's not just interrupt when he casts blank or interrupt at every interval or uh you know like interrupt on uh, you know like on cooldown right to just interrupt everything right it is specific and we tailored our boss fight to our specific comp right where we were interrupting frostbites primarily but sometimes i would need to interrupt on piercing missiles and other times i could spell reflect piercing missiles back on the shade of medivh and i think that kind of uh that kind of just like wholly fleshed out encounter that allows me as a warrior tank to both excel in this you know the, this kind of niche part of my kit nobody else no other tanks have uh spell reflection right um that allows uh you know the the uh that, that that fulfills that kind of fantasy right that that puts a really interesting kind of thought paradigm in how um you know the the dps and the healers are reacting to i i don't know i just think that is such a well-designed fight it is probably the best designed fight that i've seen from blizzard in all of the legion expansion okay so um i was i've, I've to me it's, it's kind of a toss-up between medivh and the one i'm going to mention um first off i would like to give honorable mention to wicket not because i think the fight's particularly <laughs> interesting but because the the intro to it is amazing First um, of all, uh, I want to agree with you. And second of all, I cannot fucking wait to see, uh, the, you know, what is it? Westfall Story. And and, and Beautiful Beast. And be or yeah, yeah, one. Beautiful Beast. I'm so excited to see those because I, I'm a musical guy. I like musicals um, and I, I am 
you know, I'm not like a huge crazy fan or anything like that, but I definitely understand the joke uh, that one of the one of the casts, you know, one of the spells is called Defying Gravity, right? Um, yeah. But oh yeah, yeah. Also, oh man, I don't know. I'm super down for that. But yes, I agree with you. Wicket definitely deserves honorable mention. Yeah. Um, also, um, one of my favorite little stupid things about the dungeon is behind the stage, the big bad wolf is sitting there, and if you talk to him, he'll say he'll say "Run away, little girl." I just. <laughs> for those of you that don't play WoW, um, in uh, one of the, one of the most popular add-ons. Uh, which is called Deadly Boss Mods, which, you know, it'll tell you if you're in a boss fight, right? Like, are you standing in something that's doing a lot of damage to you? And it will play that. That audio file is obviously in the game. And it will play that audio file when you're standing in the bad, essentially. So, like, you know, every once in a while, right, like maybe a pool of gunk will spawn under you and it's doing all this damage. And uh, and Deadly Boss Mods will go, run away, little girl, run away. And, it, and that has been true for years almost a decade i would uh i would imagine because deadly boss bots has been around for a long long time um so i appreciate that blizzard is willing to give a shout out to the add-ons uh that uh uh you know the community use yes but so to to, to stop stalling my favorite boss i think is maiden um it's maiden of virtue right sure. is, is the full name yeah um just kind of like very similar to, to what you said, uh, not necessarily the fantasy of fighting the Archmage, but the kind of diversity of mechanics and the inventiveness. And also there's a lot of tension in them, right? Like you need to burst hard to get through her shield and interrupt her spell that will wipe the yep. party. Um, and the cleverness of like the kind of like setting a dot up on yourself so that you break her stun that's broken by, by, by damage. I think that's all super cool. Um, and you know, and, and the, like like you said, that there are specific class ways around it. Not that we had a priest with us, but as as our uh, as one of our primers pointed out, oh, we wouldn't even have to do the thing where we pick up the dot if we had a, if we had a priest because they could cast shadow mend and that would put a dot on you and that should break it for you, um, and stuff like I just think it is, um, similar similar to Medivh, just really well constructed in a way to to like really utilize some unique mechanics to to get a lot out of out of the fight um as as well as you know just like being like um oh, oh so sorry the the theme that the, the the little rp scene that follows it is also of lothar um and uh and uh, lane Lain right Rind. that's yep. that's he was prince yeah, at the La time but he eventually became yeah yeah king. yeah but it's like it's just a, a great throwback cutscene too um, to like very early lore, which is something you don't see a lot of. Uh, I, don't, I don't think, um, especially concerning what's what's happening in in Karazhan. Um, um, I that so, um, I do agree with you. I think I think Shade of Medivh might is 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 about tied with Maiden, but Maiden's the other one that stuck you, out. You know, I have to agree with you. I definitely thought Maiden was great too. Uh, Maiden was the other one. I, I I always knew. I knew as soon as we were doing that Shadow Shade of Medivh fight. I was like, oh my god, this boss fight's so good. Um, but Maiden was the other one that really uh, got to me. I also liked the, um, you know, something that I really appreciate about Karazhan and something that I think is kind of like an underrepresented version of WoW is like us figuring out. I I love it when WoW gives us the tools to figure out our own strategies um this is something that has gone away in as the game has progressed um but 
a mainstay of WoW for a long time uh, was kind of the figuring out the mechanics as they worked to your specific raid, right? Like, you could watch the video that would explain all of the mechanics to you, but that wouldn't actually do a very good job of uh, necessarily, like, tailoring those mechanics to how your raid wants to interact. Um, and I think that Karazhan does this, but to a certain extent, also the Emerald Nightmare uh, and some of the other... Um, uh, and some of the other dungeons also really do this. And I love, I just love, um, that there is kind of an emphasis on you as a player need to kind of iterate and figure this out from a strategic perspective, right? When iterating is just, we need to execute better, right? Um, that's boring to me. But when iterating is, you know, well, what if we have, what if we swap out a couple of talents on our heavy monk raid group so that we can tigers so that our dps monks can tigers lust people who get rooted right so that healers don't waste their mana right that to me that's great i love that i think that you know finding those kinds of solutions right finding the solution of hey piercing piercing missiles does a bazillion fucking damage but i can you know uh i can spell reflect this i will spell reflect piercing missiles and i will interrupt my own piercing missiles that i need to interrupt the rest of you guys focus on the frostbites and i will call for help when i need it that to me is a really really cool thing that no god you know wowhead is not going to tell me that right icy veins is not going to outline that in their boss strategy that's only something that we could have come up uh together in order to in order to iterate and innovate on the way that we approach these boss fights strategically and karazan had so so much of that um that uh that i just i really love it i just i love it so much um i i, I do want to ask you something though sure before we before we move on real quick um with all this praise what was your least favorite boss? Oh, fuck. In a weird way, I can't even think about it because I feel like my least favorite boss isn't a boss that I was like, fuck this boss, but a boss that was just relatively unmemorable. Really? Huh. I, uh, you know, I think a two men is oh, a little rote. What am I thinking also? I, I liked a two men just because of the... Uh... The, the the kind of the dual phase like back and forth of it um my, my answer if you need a little time to think is um uh is is the menagerie keeper um oh curator like, you know, yeah curator um it's not that it was like i don't think it's particularly bad like i don't think this is like i just feel like it felt like a lot of the mechanics to do were like just kind of and maybe this is because we run a Bailey DPS heavy comp, but I also, like, the game doesn't do a lot to recognize the difference between ranged and melee DPS. It's kind of like an external construct. Um, and I feel like dealing with the adds in that fight was unnecessarily frustrating. Um, especially, you know, at least as a monk, I've got some ability, but our Death Knight, um, poor Torinor, like, even if he wanted to attack the adds a bunch, um, like, them moving hectically at, like, once every, like, 10 seconds just makes it so he can't, like, you know, he spends half of his time running around trying to hit the, uh, trying to hit the ad, where it almost makes more sense for him to just stick on the boss and not do the Yeah, you know, and I, I also, I is... uh, I, I have to echo that to a certain extent, but I also want to mention, I think, um, I actually, I, I, I also think that a bit of that is a, uh, victim 
of strengths and weaknesses of certain kinds of characters, right? Warriors, for instance, have okay mobility. You know, like, warriors and monks have pretty good mobility when it comes to melee DPS, right? Um, uh, and, uh, but, like, I like that Death Knights don't. I think it's interesting um, that, uh, and, 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 it's, and it's kind of like a flavorful thing, and I like that, you know, I like that Blizzard is willing to kind of emphasize these, these, these strengths and weaknesses or whatever, um, and that there's a... Um, there's an emphasis, I guess, on uh, on the fact that Death Knights are the least mobile melee class um, and that, you know, monks are one of the more mobile melee classes, right? Um, I think in the same kind of vein, um, you know... Uh well, whatever. I don't want to get too deep into the into the, the kind of nitty gritty of it, but I appreciate I appreciate that to a certain extent about Blizzard. Yeah, I think I think Curator might be the worst. Um, I thought Manor Devourer Manor Devourer wasn't great, but he was like really interesting, which I appreciated. Um, yeah. I really appreciated um, Moro's. I thought that it was really cool that we got to kind of choose how we dealt with that collection of uh, of ads. Who's the first boss in the dungeon? Do you remember offhand? The, it's wicked. Oh, right, wicked. Or it, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, yeah. to be honest, that boss fight was actually pretty rote as well, right? Like it wasn't all that. It wasn't all that. Yeah, you know. But uh, but but, like, but it gets it gets points for references. It gets such huge. It gets such crazy points for those references. And I also think, by the way, that the first bites boss of most dungeons has to be that way, right? There's a reason that yeah. Nithendra is more or less a tank and spank, right? That Rock Mora is more or less a tank and spank kind of thing. Um, when you have really punishing first bosses, I think that's a really shitty experience. Um, but we've spent enough time on WoW. Um, sure. And uh, the other big release uh, that we have been uh, itching to talk about, that I have been itching to talk about, uh, is Civilization VI. Um, real, real quick before we get into that, I just want to say Titanfall 2 is great, and you should all buy it on PC and play it so I have somebody else to play oof. with. Um, but moving to Civilization VI. I was actually thinking about um, it, though. I don't really have the cash um, to be uh, to be uh, burning on new releases. Though I think uh, – I definitely think the news that EA – like all of the map packs and everything is going to be free is one of the best things. Um, and I really hope that it is an ongoing uh, – uh, it's, it's, it's like an ongoing effect um, – that continues in the future because I think there's a huge problem. This is a pro this is a problem that I am not well aware of from practice, but just from I understand the mechanics how this kind of stuff works. When you separate out uh, the uh, DLC, you have to fracture your player base in order to, you know, figure out who, right, like who has what map packs and therefore can participate in what stuff, um, and so. Uh, I think it's a great, super smart move uh, by EA slash Respawn. I think this is a little bit more of a Respawn decision um, that all of the map packs and all that other stuff in the future is going to be uh, free to keep the player base entirely aligned. Yeah, absolutely. It's also, you know, it's also going to mean that you can pay $60 and be in on that game this holiday season, which you should all do and play with me. Okay. Anyway, um, Civilization <laughs> yeah. Six. Okay. Um... I don't know how do you, I don't really know how to how I want to start Civilization Six. Uh, um, well, you know, um, I have a lot of bones. What to did pick you with Civilization Six? It's Oof. it's gonna sound like I really don't like this game, but that's not true. I do. I think it's good. Yeah, let's let's give our initial impressions. What? Um, I, I've already kind of got mine. Kind of like a, a couple of people have asked me what I thought of it. Um, and this is my kind of my my opinion on Civilization Six. It's a solid iteration on Civilization Five. Um less so on uh on on 
beyond Earth, as, as we've discussed previously. I think um, I think they threw out some of the baby with the bathwater with with uh, six as it relates to beyond Earth. Um, Tragedy of tragedies. Um, but I think I think it's a good evolution of all of those mechanics, and it does the thing. Uh, this is kind of echoes to se- uh, total biscuit sentiment, but um, historically, Civ games on release have kind of been lackluster, and they get really good around their second expansion. Um, this game starts like that. Um, I feel that their DLC is probably going to be mostly in the realm of like um, leaders and civilizations. Um, instead of these big expansion packs, which is kind of sad because it means we'll probably get less content, uh, less game-changing content, like the way we got with Gods and Kings. Um, but I do think um, that uh, it, it is makes the game a worthwhile investment up front, or a more, more worthwhile investment You know what's really front. funny is that uh, I almost weirdly disagree. I, I actually agree with that sentiment, kind of like the intent of that sentiment, but I really, really, really hope that they do come out with the same kind of expansion packs that they have been um, and uh, just kind of do the... I think if Civilization Six does the thing that uh, Civilization Five did where they kind of dynamite out uh, almost like placeholder systems and replace them with better, more interesting ones, it will gain a lot of points in my book. Um so here's my here's my thing about Civilization Six. I have previously been very harsh with Civilization games. I have called them baby mode uh, when it comes to strategy games, and I stand by all those opinions and everything. Um, but I think, but I, you know, that, that that was obviously a joke, and it's a little bit more flippant than I want to be. I think Civilization is an incredibly hard game to design and to design for. I think that they make a number of choices that aren't bad choices at at a skeletal level, right? At a kind of atomic level um, to to the to the the, the bones of the game. That, and these choices aren't bad, right? But they make it so much harder to have the game be good, um, just by the nature of these kind of overarching design decisions. That you get to this point of. As you get through the, you know, as you kind of work your way out, you know, from the skeleton to the muscles to the skin, um, kind of, uh, uh, to the, to, to like kind of, uh, analyze and appraise the game as a whole, it is so, uh, like almost kind of tainted by those decisions that I can't even like I can't like unsee that right, um, but I want to unpack this a little bit because it's not something that I, that um, that's like this like uh, it's a little bit more cryptic than I want to be. Um, so I think in general, if you were to kind of graph out games to a certain extent, you might have two axes. One of them is kind of system depth, and the other one is uh, you know system access- accessibility, right? And I think that in, in like in principle, you want to maximize depth while minimizing accessibility. Well. I also think that... Uh, what, you want to minimize accessibility? Uh, sorry, I guess maximize accessibility. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. viewing this in a, in a different way, right? Uh, but yeah, yes, you want to maximize how accessible the game is, right? Um, um, 
So, uh, so what that what that kind of creates, right, is a couple of different ways that you can have games, right? You can have simple, accessible games that are kind of breathy, and you know, they, you know, it's like twenty minutes of your time, and it doesn't occupy, you know, yourself. You can have super deep, uh, complex games that are relatively hard to parse, right? Um, but then I think that they're like the, the you know, when, what you really want to achieve, right? And and I the, the the term I use for this, and by the way, I've stolen this term from essentially the same concept. Uh, from the extra credits team is elegance, right? An elegant system is an intuitive and easy to understand system that makes a lot of sense. It is not hard to explain, right? Uh, but it is also very deep and very complex from a systems level, right? Because I think, you know, gamers, uh, players respond to that kind of depth. I think that strategy games as a whole have almost kind of thrown that out, right? I think Europa Universalis, and I'm going to make being making a lot of comparisons to Europa Universalis, is the best strategy game I've ever played in my life. But that's because I'm willing to accept that it is not accessible in the fucking slightest, right? Europa Universalis is a game that doesn't have a tutorial. It expects your to I mean, it does, but like, it doesn't have like a real tutorial. It expects your tutorial to be play 30 hours of the game and fail a whole bunch until you figure it out enough that you restart and actually have fun. Like, uh, and and yeah, um, just. Just to kind of like point out along that Crusader Kings, which is my preferred paradox grand strategy game, um, the tutorial doesn't work anymore because they've updated past it but never updated <laughs> the tutorial. That is, um, that is such a good microcosm <laughs> of my point. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think I think that like like you said. I also don't think you can do it by just playing 30 hours by yourself. I think you need to, like, watch Quill 18 play for a couple hours <laughs> you know, and ask your friend who plays it for some honestly, recommendations. I almost even think that that's, that's certainly true. Um, so, um, so they have the benefit of making the deepest systems I have ever seen in my fucking life, right? Like, you know, this is the most, you know, the, I, I think there are the, the, you know, complex systems, right? But a complicated game is a game that does this, right? It throws out accessibility. It just kind of says, you know what? Fuck it. Our, the niche that we are servicing, our gamers that, that care about this kind of game are going to put the time in that we should reward them by making the most systems fucking ever, right? And that is, so that's what it is. That's what they've done with, uh, with Europa Universalis, right? Um, civilization does not have that luxury. Civilization wants to target the Titanfall 2 players, the League of Legends players, right? The Call of Duty players of the world. And I think a lot of those players have played a Civilization game before. It is the most, by far, it is the most mainstream and accessible version of this. But it means that they do have to hinder themselves when it comes to the kinds of decisions that they make, right? And I think that they have made a certain subset of decisions with that in in mind that handicap this game from the get-go. Um, because... I've been waiting to talk about this for a long time. Uh, I, I, th those decisions to me are in order. <laughs> um, uh, that civilization is an abstraction of real history, right? Um, that it has intentions to be simultaneously a multiplayer experience and a multiplayer game and a single player experience, uh, and a single-player game that they want to... This is a, a little bit of a continuation. It's like 1A a little bit. That they want to have multiple victory conditions and that they want those victory conditions to create a Boolean win state uh, for players, right? 
Europe Universalis dodges almost all. Oh, uh, dodges almost all of the. Also, they want to have multiple difficulty levels, right? Um, Europa Universalis just dodges almost all of these problems fundamentally, right? Um, By, like, not having a win state. Well, so, you know, here's the thing, though, right? Like, I think that is a good thing, right? That's a thing that sure. makes that game that, that makes that game better at achieving the same goals that Civ wants to achieve, right? I think... Oh, oh no, absolutely. Minecraft is one of the greatest kind of, like, games in, in terms of, like, reach of our generation, and that game doesn't have a win yeah, state. Yeah, right. And, you know, I think I think every game has, a, you know, this might be controversial, I think every game has a win state, right? It's But, like, the, the term Boolean, non-Boolean, right? Explicit, uh, implicit okay, win I state, right? Saying. You know, when I complete all of the content in Skyrim, I have reached an implicit win state. There's nothing left for me to do or whatever, um, but um, uh, it's not like the game gives you a victory screen, like, yeah, you completed all the quests, good job, right? But when you, when you beat the main quest, doesn't it, is, isn't that more of an explicit sure but then it, but then, then it puts you you know it puts you right back sure sure thing, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, your, yeah your point's well um, taken anyway and, and, and like, Civ has and i think by the way explicit wood states have been on the decline and almost entirely are gone a lot a lot of the time in these you know single player experiences um and civ is one of the few that like it remains with uh at least as explicit as it is made um uh but uh, anyway, so my, my greater point, right, is that I think I think civilization, because in a weird way, I think it wants to kind of mine its own nostalgia. I think maybe there's a bit of like, I don't think Civ quite wants to admit that the earlier iterations of the game have these kind of ingrown problems uh, that need to be excised out in order to like... Uh, not see. Here's the thing: not in order to make the game better, but in order to make the game easier to design for. Right? I think I think Civ does a very good job. Of, it, it's it's like it's like the designers of Civ have purposefully made their job harder because of these overarching design decisions that they've decided to uh, decided to make. Right? Um, and that is uh, that's a tough thing to grapple with, and I don't think that they they succeed completely in overcoming the problems that those design decisions line out uh, line out for themselves. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm really being all that fair, seeing as how I have transitioned much more into the like super hardcore strategy player over recent years, um, and you know, like maybe this is an this is a, an, an effect of me outgrowing civilization. Um, I don't know. Um, so, 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 question for you: You think Civ would be better if it didn't have a win state? Uh, yes. Well, no, ish. Um, I think Civ would be better if the win state. I think. If it didn't have a hard win state, if, if, if that's See, what here's you the thing. Wanna... I don't, I, you know, I don't think it, it determines it one way or the other, right? But I think not having a hard state, win state, makes it easier to do things in the game. So I, let, let me break this down into explicit terms, right? Because I think we obviously have good examples to use here. One of the things that Civilization VI wants to do, right? And I, and I, I get this experience, especially when you kind of compare it up against Civilization V, is have you to create and maintain short-term punchy goals for your civilization right i think there's a problem um one of the problems that they kind of recognize about civilization 5 in total is that the because it has um these very hardcore yes no win states um in the victory conditions that you can uh fulfill 
right? You get a, an incredibly long, long view of the game, right? Um, which creates this feeling of every turn is almost inconsequential. Anyone who has played a turtling Korea game of Civilization V knows exactly what I mean by this, right? Where you're just spamming the end turn button to count down these tickers on, you know, kind of uh, uh, on, on, on uh, internal improvements to your city, right? What Civ 6 wants to do in order to, um, what Civ 6 wants to do in order to combat that, right, um, is they, is they want to make you punchier, uh, in, in, the, in setting short-term goals for yourself and completing them, right? This is why they allow you to swap out your policies all the time, and the policies have big effects but narrow effects, right? You know, you have a certain number of policy slots, and when you're gearing up to go to war for, with someone, right, you know, you are going to swap in all of the, I have this much more, um, production towards my, uh, to, towards my combat units, right, right? You replace all of your military slots with those things, and then you fart, you spend 10, 15, however many turns until you can get another free policy swap, right? Farming at those, uh, uh, farming at those units, and then you get the policy swap, you switch these in for, um, you know, more warlike, uh, more warlike policies, reducing war weariness, right? Um, things like uh, when you defeat units in combat you get their you know a portion of their goal of their stuff in gold um or whatever uh you also get these effects like um um uh plus however many you know combat strength in certain kinds of situations right then you declare war and you move on right these policies have created a version you know, have created a version of the game where you can set yourself up to complete these goals by swip swapping policies in and out dynamically right Similarly, uh, I, I, I was. I just want to say I think that's also accentuated. I think you can see this from turn one with the barbarians in this game being aggro as fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, I definitely agree with that too. Right. I also think, by the way, like the, I also think, by on. the way, wars are much punchier. Um, you get huge warmonger penalties for going to war. Um, and whereas Civ Civ Five, you know, it was impossible to get a city as part of a peace treaty, right? Until you, uh, uh, or or the, it was just impossible to get a city as part of a peace treaty, essentially, right? Um, but I think Civ Five wants your wars to be shorter. They want them to be more brutal, right? But they also want the rewards to be higher. I have never been offered better peace deals uh, than in Civilization Six peace deals, right? If you do very long, drawn-out wars that last forty-five turns, right, you are going to be punished for that because you're going to get crazy amounts of war, war weariness, right? It's going to take a long time for that war weariness to burn off, right? All of these other kinds of problems. Um, but um, if you sh if you fight short punchy wars where you have small goals that you can easily attain, right? I want to take over Liverpool, and so I attack. I take Liverpool immediately off for peace. That's an eight turn war. I think that's the those are the kinds of wars that Civ Six systems are designing for, right? You have very similar systems in Europa Universalis, right? Europa Universalis, you also have incredibly punishing war weariness, um, especially if you're losing. Um, in in uh, Europa Universalis, uh, you you have something called the the rules of war are very explicitly defined and how you can fight war is very explicitly defined and how you know what what constitutes a winning battle a losing battle all these other kinds of things there are very tight rules to this kind of thing but there are also incredibly tight rules to what you can demand in peace 
right? And there also are also incredibly tight rules on how to win the war, right? You have a war score that you want to tick up as much as possible, and specifically a war goal that you want to achieve. And once you have achieved that war war goal, you get a huge swing um, in your favor. Conversely, losing the war goal is a huge swing against your favor. Up to 25%, right, of the overall value of the war um, is going to be placed in, but or actually I, I, at least 25% uh, is going to be placed in that war goal, right? Civ 6 doesn't want to overcomplicate them, these things, right? They do not want these kinds of complicated uh, systems. So, uh, oh, uh, uh, by the way, um, a parallel to the, the policy ones is you have missions in uh, uh, Europa Universalis, which are very short-term goals to set for your for you but they have big rewards right you get a whole bunch of prestige you get a whole bunch of gold you get a whole bunch of you know power points that you spend in one of a variety of different contexts right it says conquer this territory when you do you get a big tangible benefit right and the 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 assumption is you spend a, a very short amount of time working on this mission right oh, you're talking about this is Europa, Europa for that. right so Civ right wants you to compartmentalize your goals and shorten them right but because it has these super super drawn like long long view victory conditions you have to play to your victory the best possible way to play to your victory condition is to play from that from turn one right you know if from turn zero right it's to pick philip and then gun for a religious victory because philip has all of these bonuses to creating a religious victory right because there's no hard win win uh, a condition to Europa Universalis, you almost exclusively focus on those kinds of short-term goals that I think these games want you to focus on. Um, I don't know if I've, if I've so, properly made that point for you, but... So, I think you have, and you've also made this point to me uh, previously. I was thinking about this, and I, I don't, like, so I, I think kind of the way you said it is approximately correct. I think, I don't think Civilization wants you to play with it with with your end goal set from turn zero but i do think that's kind of what ends up happening in a lot of a lot of times and in a lot of ways and i think it's kind of um i think what ends up happening is you end up playing your victory conditions against each other and that's the main tension rather than um rather than kind of like like I think it's very rare for two people to be going for the same victory condition in a civilization game. I think it's whether you can get your space race done before Philip converts the world to to Catholicism, um, and that's the tension there. I think that that's valuable. I I think that you can have an interesting game there, um, where like you know, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Denmark, um, the the Vikings, um. Right. Uh, they they have some bonuses to religion, so they're trying to stave off Philip while they build like their navy to dominate uh, dominate sure. the world. Um, uh, and I, I think that you can have good tension there. I think it's, um, I think the problem is is because, um, like to, to bring back your comparisons to, Euro, to Europa and um, Crusader Kings, those games are not balanced. They're not supposed to be balanced, right? They're supposed to be, in some ways, uh, or at least you know, at least in your starting position, historically accurate, right? Like, um, you know, the the Duke of or the, the you know the the Regent of Iceland is not going to be able to go toe to toe with France from turn uh, one. Whereas if I have a response to if this, I've thought very very intensely about this, but go on. 
Uh, but the the civilization core design principle is that you know if Iceland were a faction in the game that they would be able to go toe to toe with France um, from turn one and maybe maybe there's some variation there right like the the earlier game like civs with their unique units earlier maybe are a little bit more powerful in in that portion mm-hmm. of the game um, but I think ultimately um, because that's the case um, it's very easy and because the game is long. Um, it's easy, f- it's easy for around, uh, this is gonna, I'm gonna compare this to, like, Long War with XCOM, um, another Sid Meier, or another, another Firaxis property, is, there's a point at which you realize you've lost, and it's about 20, it's, you know, it's about a, th- a quarter of the game after you've lost it, but a quarter of the game before the other person has won it. And I think that's one of the more fundamental flaws with civilization is if somebody does get out ahead and, I, and that's a hard thing to see at the moment that it's happening, then it can be very hard to get back on top of that person. And not, to, to be clear, for civilization, I'm talking about this from a multiplayer sure. perspective. Um, single player, I think, has its own issues and I don't think... The AI players are... Str- I think the AI players are playing Civilization like you play Europa Universalis. They're not playing with the victory condition. That's just kind of... Like, they are playing to run their Civilization like a king, which is fine, but it may- gives the player just such an inherent advantage. Um, so, yeah, the, to me, uh, the core difference here is abstraction and simulation, right? Because, because uh, Civilization... Sure wants to be an abstraction of history right and kind of like get at the you know the broad strokes of like oh look at how good humans are at progressing through things when we work together and build civilizations or whatever right i mean i think by the way there are a lot of criticisms that come from uh i guess you might call them liberal uh uh kind of like um or maybe like socially conscious kind of outlets about things like, oh, well, why, you know, like in civil, in older civilization games, when all the barbarian tribes are also named after like traditionally barbarian tribes, it's like, why are the Polynesians a barbarian tribe, right? You know, like, does it, what, what makes them a barbarian tribe and what makes Jerusalem a city state and what makes Greece a civilization, right? Like, you know, and th- those kinds of differences can have like shitty undertones if you want to kind of parse it to that level or whatever but i think the thing so i think europe universalis doesn't want to do that right europe universalis wants to be a simulation right theoretically if there is no human player in europe universalis you should end up at about what history tracked right for all of these different you know for all these different nations but the thing about that that's so fucking clever from paradox is that they use this to justify a design decision that makes their game better, right? The design decision is that the start positions in the game are all asymmetric, you right? Like in Civilization, all of the designs, the, the the all of the start positions are, you know, they're a little bit asymmetric in the sense that we all don't spot in spawn in literally the exact same spot with the exact same, you know, like resources and everything like that, right? But um, you know, fundamentally, we all start from turn one and have a you know a similar number of turns in order to kind of like do all of these different things, right? We all start on equal footing, uh, so to speak. That is not true of Europa Universalis. It is so much easier to win that game when you start as Castile than when you start as you know. <laughs> Congolese Congolese Iceland. tribes, right? And that is the difficulty of 
Europa Universalis, right? That's their difficulty curve, right? It is easy to play the Spains and the Frances of the world, and it is hard to play the, you know, Indonesians of the world, right? And so if you want a difficulty curve, right? If you want to play if you want to play Europa Universalis on Immortal, right? You pick some random landlocked tribe in Africa and you try and beat you know and you just get as far as you fucking can with the you know with these guys um that have all of these natural historical, you know, kind of systemic disadvantages to their civilization compared to France, right, which has all of these, you know, big advantages. Um, and I think that is super fucking clever. Um, and it really dodges the problem that we have complained about on the podcast before, which is that the AI, the difficulty of the AI isn't the AI plays better. It's it has better bonuses than you, right? Oh, man. You know, I, I started a king game last night just to kind of like mm. see what it was like. And the cheating was so apparent that it, like, it, it just it infuriated me, right? Like, it's like there's literally no way that baseline Congo is able to, to you know, leap, like, you know, jump into the next, in, into the classical era, and then in Victoria to have completed Stonehenge that fast. Yeah. It's it just, there, there's no way that would have, that yeah. would have happened. Um and you know to, to kind of bring this into, into a full criticism, what that does is it—it's not that it makes the—I mean, it does make the game harder, but it's not like a true difficulty. What it does is is like it just pushes back the point where I overtake the AI. Yeah. Um, <laughs> essentially, it's funny. Uh, um, by whatever number of years, so it doesn't really uh, it doesn't so much affect say my ability to build some of the later like you know build some of the later wonders or be the first to certain points or like get the first great people um it push it hurts that but it doesn't or rather it, it doesn't hurt the later ones but it does severely hurt my ability to say get stonehenge or get a great profit early or all these kind of like really early game things it it, it, it feels so fake because of that yeah right? and i think the that's because the idea of right like the premise of civilization is that we're all starting on equal footing with one another Right, but the premise of but the premise of Europa Universalis, because you know you are opting into a historical simulation, right? You know this is kind of like the trick, right? The, you, it does not feel shitty that as Congo, France has all of these advantages, and it's just like they they start the game. You know when you pick Congo that France is just that much more powerful than you, right? And so it kind of flips that relationship. It no longer feels unfair, right, that France has all of these advantages. It now feels good that you are able to beat France despite those advantages, if that makes sense. And I think that that, that is a – this is what – that's one of the, the smartest core baseline design decisions I, I almost feel like I could, like, articulate in any game ever, right? Like, I, I, I have uh, never yeah. – when it, that clicked for me, and it clicked for me very recently, right? I only figured this out in the context of thinking about kind of difficulty and uh, and some of the problems with Civ Six or whatever. Uh, you know, I, but that gives me a lot of respect when it comes to uh, – you know, when it comes down to Paradox. I, I think part of that, too, is um, – is, is – uh, Europa Universalis' lack of a lot of abstraction elements, right? Like, um, I think it doesn't feel as bad because, um, you know, it's it's Europa and Crusader Kings are not necessarily 
competitive games. They're kind of like, you know, like everybody, including you, is just trying to be like a good regent um, or a good spirit of the nation in the case of Europa Universalis. Um, and that has different goals to it, but it's not like your goal is to like, you know, dominate, you know, d dominate the world by, by, uh, you know, 1800. Surely, sure. That's a thing you could do, but not doing that doesn't mean you've kind of lost. Yeah. yeah um, and I think, right. I so, God, I so agree with that. And I think that, and I think this is also because, right. Like, you know, Europe Universalis doesn't have a big – it shows you a score screen and it can rank you and all of that other kind of stuff, but it doesn't have a big, like, you know, uh, kind of game-ending victory condition, right? You win, everyone loses, right? Like, I think I – you know – that decouples your, you know, your your playing for that kind of super, super long game, right? You tend to play with super long game abstract goals of I want to start as Congo and take over all of Africa, right? I, I, you know, I want to I want to beat, you know, I want to beat big, powerful European colonies and take their colonies back, right? You know, I think those are those are goals, but like it compartmentalizes these small goals with the, with the missions, right? With the rival system, right? You know, the rival system is one of the smartest ways to do this because I can't go. I, as Congo, I cannot rival France, right? I can only rival other nations of a similar power level to myself. So no matter what, over the course of the game, I am going to be, you know, at, you know, I'm going to be at the throat of somebody who is a similar strength to me, right? And I think th those systems all, all, um, th they, they are, all of them push these, this design in the right uh, in the right direction, uh, and unfortunately, civilization has chosen to almost not, you know, do those kinds of things. I do want to say, I, so this is what I mean by by saying, I, people are going to think I think less of civilization, right? I think civilization is remarkably good for how bad I think some of these premises are, right? How they have made they have made the the kind of playing field so hard for themselves by starting with some of these kind of core fundamental principles um and they have come out with a game that is surprising how good it is, you know, given given some of these uh given some of these problems. I think um it was very smart for them to update the religion victory. I think the new religion victory is very cool and interesting. Um I think uh Carrie over the cultural victory that that they had in civilization 5 was also incredibly f smart uh but i do think that the domination victory and the science victory are both uh lacking kind of as have, as they always have been and this is a little bit of what i mean by saying i hope they do kind of introduce system level redesigns um i would really i really 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 hope that they do a um uh, a system level redesign of like the science victory. I think that would be really smart. I think the same thing is true for the military victory, making that victory condition more interesting, more dynamic and have more layers and dimensions to it would be nothing but positive as far as I'm concerned when it comes to the game. Um, so I, I think the domination victory is there. Most just kind of be like the brute force. I think an alternate military victory um, that isn't sure, domination would be good, but I, I think that having domination of you won everything forever. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, I, to be honest, um, I actually almost kind of want that to be a new version of the dip diplomatic victory in a weird way. I think there's a very cool place so, for a diplomatic victory where um, you kind of, uh, you create, instead of, you know, instead of taking over all these people ca castles or, or uh, sorry, uh, taking all of these people and, and making um, uh, capitals, um, 
you uh, you kind of flesh out the diplomacy system. You make uh, you know you make certain civilizations vassals, right? You force the ability to have kind of alliances. I love the United Nations system, uh, honestly. From Civilization Five, I'm a little bit sad that they scrapped it. Um. Um. So so I think I think the problem fundamental problem there is that military is an important like an inexorable part of the civilization system, right? No matter what you're doing, it's that. Plus a little bit of military because that's always a danger, and so because it's always a piece of it, I think that, um, kind of pushing, uh, it kind of makes domination have to be this more extreme victory, um, because everybody already has half a domination victory in their back pocket with a standing army that they need, um, to you know because wars are yeah, going to happen regardless. True. You can't go through a civilization game without having a war, and so part of that's already there. Um, and because of that, um, because of that domination needs to be this far, uh, far beyond, I think this falls into your category of kind of like um, things that, like, you know, decisions that make the game hard to do. Um, another one of these that I think that um, kind of makes cheating AI feel really bad to kind of bounce back to that point are um, the mutual exclusivity of things oh, like 100%. wonders. Um, it feels really bad when you lose a wonder because of AI cheating. Um, I think, however, that that system is really good in a, in, a, in a thing that I prefer, which is multiplayer. I think that the the contention for wonders, especially in the new system where not all of them are available to everybody, depending on your city placement, um, I think that leaves it open enough that, like, you can't just, like, get ahead and get all of the wonders like you kind of could in Civ Five. Um, but I also think it does make it feel good when you've beaten somebody out to a wonder because of smart play. Um I am super looking forward to digging into some multiplayer play because I actually think that's really where Civilization shines is in um, a multiplayer context where you're playing against people who have the same kind of motivations as you. And it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's human, so it's a thing. And I think there are some things lost, right? Like, I think that, like, you know, warmongering, who cares in an all-human game? Because it's not like humans are going to be like, you're a warmonger, therefore I like you less. No, um, you know, I have like to say, to be honest, a- um, I, I think uh, I'm super interested and super down uh, to to play that, right? Like, I agree with you 100%. I want to play some multiplayer Civ, right? Um, but um, uh, uh, I think almost the problem with it is that single-player Civ and multiplayer Civ are just so different. They're just, uh, you know, there's yeah. just so much at, you know, all, all of the stakes are different. All of the, the kind of whole context of the game. So using the same rules in order to do both is just always going to be a, you know, it's just a shitty compromise where in the middle you're right. Like, I don't know. I, I have, I have, I almost kind of think it would be a better version of the game if they almost did the Starcraft thing, right? Like where they crafted a specifically single player experience that just uses fundamentally different rules than the specifically multiplayer experience. I think that is the, uh, the, you're kind of almost like the only way to do that and like really truly make a like next level great game out of, uh, out of the civilization franchise. Otherwise they're just going to keep splitting the difference and uh, you know, it, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that point too. That no. I, so, so the the I think that civilization. I I think that civilization can be a great multiplayer game 
like it, in a lot of ways, civilization feels because you know, as people have said, other people more more um, you know harder fans and, and more experienced people than me have said before. Civilization is essentially a board game um, in digital form, and I think that that's so like so very true that it makes it better for multiplayer. I think that a lot of the problems with the single player are that you try and layer these AI personalities, which are bad at what they do over um, what is essentially a, a fairly solid uh, multiplayer rule set. And I don't think the game loses that much from removing the, like from, from removing the single player specific things like, like Warmonger. Sure. It makes wars a little bit less punishing, but it's also true for your opponents. Um, and I think, I think the biggest sin there is 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 that single player doesn't prepare you for the level of optimization you want for multiplayer. Like multiplayer kind of wants you to play it like a hardcore board game where you're trying to get the most out of everything you do and make the right moves. Um, whereas single player kind of lets you coast with a lot of like with with the automatic ad advisor, right? Like. Um, like the single biggest thing you can do to get better at multiplayer or I guess the deeper difficulties on single player um, is manually manage your citizens. Um, and, you know, I am I, you know, I am a huge fan of doing that. But, in you know, in a single player game, there comes a point where I don't care anymore because I yeah. know that I'm going to get yeah. ahead. Right, like, 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 I, you know, like, you know it's really frustrating, played by on the way, Prince. I love that stuff, right? You know, in a weird way, the version of civilization where there is no victory condition, right? And the whole game is just kind of like in the present, you know, it's like a SimCity, right? Almost, right? Like, where the whole game is built to be kind of like in the present, just manage your civilization as best you fucking can. That feels great, uh, uh, to me, right? Like, or sorry, specifically, uh, Managing citizens, like micromanaging workers, feels great. But in the context of I have a victory condition that I'm trying to fulfill, I always feel like it's just like, oh, God, this is such a fucking waste of time, right? Like, I don't actually need to, like, micromanage these plots of land in order to get the victory, right? I'm, I've already broken away, and I'm just going to win in, you know, 60 turns, right? This always happens uh, in, in Civilization, and it is a frustrating thing, um, uh, I think. Yeah. No, I, I'm... I get excited for I, I'd be frank, I get honest, for excited for civilization games for the multiplayer experience. Um, you know what's funny is I I will you, play the single have player. Played a B single player experience, multiplayer experience. Uh, so I, I don't think, think we man, have. I think we, yeah, we, we, planned, we, we to. planned to. I think yeah. we got we got people to buy the well, game. So the and we never you know, did. I think I think the, uh, one of the problems with this, uh, just from like a logistical perspective, is it's very hard, right? We talked about it in the context yeah. of uh, like a D and D kind of thing, where like every Monday night at six o'clock, we all get together and play Civilization for hours and hours or whatever. And I actually think that that is the best way to do this, but we also make it harder for ourselves. Um, I've played a number of Civilization games with just two people, but a whole bunch of AI, and that's actually pretty fun and entertaining. Um, uh, it, we, we specifically avoid that because a lot of the times when you play multiplayer games with AIs, it just becomes like, okay, well, who can cannibalize these fucking AIs fast enough and just like break yeah, away yeah. because of that thing. And I definitely think that once you get into kind of like the, maybe three players, I'd be okay with it, but like the four, five, six player range, right? Um, uh, it doesn't make sense to be playing with AIs anymore. I don't know. I have complex feelings about that. I know I absolutely agree. I think I think 
I think AIs are in, in, in a in a big multiplayer game can be a hassle because you suddenly have to account for those weird war warmonger things which are just gonna disproportionately going to affect the people that happen to be closer to the civilizations and conversely if they manage to sway them like you know it's 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 I I, I agree. To be I honest, think, I think maybe the platonic think, ideal of what you, I would want to do with AIs is have a certain set of kind of out of game house rules about how to deal with the AIs, right? Like maybe AIs are more advanced city state, but like you can't declare war on an AI and you can't take cities from an AI in a war kind of thing, right? So like an AI as a big fat depository for all of your trade routes, right? You know, in order to, like, farm a bunch of gold, that makes sense to a certain extent. And I think that that's kind of cool. Um, but um, uh, you also maybe have an option to just try and piss the AI off as much as you possibly can in order to force it to go to war with you and then wreck it in the war and steal all of their shit in the peace deal, right? Except for cities kind of thing. Does that make sense? Uh, see, I think that'd be really hard to do. I, I think that that system is more elegantly handled by by just city states as they exist, um, I think city states work that way, well that way because they do the trade thing that you want, and if you want to go attack them, they can only give you one city ever, which is, I think I I think a a a better way to do it. But you know, um, I I I see your point. I could see that working, but I also think that's a lot more effort than I would want to put. Um, when I think that playing with just all human people works yeah. just as well and doesn't yeah, have I, you know, I am interested by it. playing with just all human people, um, especially because I think, you know, we honestly haven't even talked all that much about, like, the the, the actual mechanics of the game um, that... Uh, yeah. Well, let's do a quick lightning round, all right? So, big mechanics that got changed. Uh, builders, right? Used to be workers were permanent units, right? It took a couple of turns for them to do a thing. Now, just one turn, but they're consumable. How do you feel? Okay, cool. Uh, good. Yeah, me too. I like them Very a lot. good. Um, uh, districts. What's your What's your opinion on districts? Um, thumbs up, ex but for the fact that, so the game is the, the meta right now is 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 almost universally built wide. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is a paradigm shift when I was used to building tall. Yeah, I, you know, my problem with, uh, I, I'm a wide player, which is one of the things I like a lot. Um, um, and it always sucked in Civ Five because you just get punished. You know, you just get beaten into the ground for building wide um, by all of these different mechanics. It makes the, the amount of science you need more. It makes the amount of culture you need to progress more. It makes the amount of... Uh, 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 happiness you need more right and all of those things are just like you are penalized for building wide instead of building tall i would like to see kind of right like i you know for instance if there were a couple of like baseline policies that you had to adopt one way or the other right like for instance a policy that said something along the lines of your 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 civil your city's needs for amenities scale at one for every three population rather than one for every two population right to kind of assuage the burden of building tall that to me is a good design decision right a design decision that says your you know um the you don't need uh, or like the penalty for having multiple cities to your you know the necessary science required is reduced by half right i think those kinds of things feel a lot better and i would like it if i could opt into uh specifically and tailor around a play style that's like i want to build wide in this specific way or i want to build tall in this specific way rather than the other way around 
Yeah, and, and, and to, to be fair, while you do have to build wider, I do think there's a difference between wide and tall still. It's just wide is a lot wider and tall is wider too, right? Like in, in games where like, you know, in a Korea game where you build two cities and, you know, turtle for the rest of the game, um, that doesn't happen anymore. But I do think there are games where you, know, you build like four or five and build them relatively sure. tall or then build like a dozen and build them relatively shallow. Um, and I think that yep. that's fine. Um, uh, what else? What else? What else? Eureka moments for technology and civics. This is one we actually haven't talked about. We've talked uh, a lot about this off the pod, obviously, but. I think they're really cool. I think they're, um, I think they're a, a good. So my only, my only problem with them is that I think they're a little bit overtuned. I think that most of, I think they're a little bit too easy to get like, like it's not like a medium difficulty to get most of these it's like easy if it's available but if it's unavailable it's very hard and the unavailable texts then become kind of really easy to put on the back burner um like for instance um the easiest one that comes to mind is the mm -hmm. naval tree um if you don't have a coastal city you're not going to develop naval tech for a while and maybe that's good from like a kind of simulationist perspective that makes a lot of sense but um, I feel like, you know, if your first city isn't coastal, it's going to be a while before you get the second city and that boost is going to be hard to get. And I think that it's a little, just a little bit too hard to get that yeah. tech raw. Fair um, I, I think, I, I think if they were like a little bit more like do a couple of things, but the overall cost was, was a little bit better. It'd be, it'd be better. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it is overall okay. a positive uh, system. You know, um, this one a lot, so. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the I think a lot of the civics are are dead in the water. Um, so you just said, so, so I you think just, that I I went through and I and I kind of break it broke it down and it was like fifty percent, seventy five percent, seventy five percent. I I used almost all of the city right, like I used three quarters of the different policies at different points in the game. You didn't have that similar experience though. No, I I mostly, um, I I mostly had a couple. That were like, um, I think this kind of goes back to your micro goals thing. I th I had a bunch that were driving like my ultimate goals, which was a religious victory, um, and they weren't worth switching out for, say, like the threats that were facing okay. me immediately. Um, and so let me, I just rode a lot on 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 the same policies, and I, I'd, I'd switch some of them out like occasionally but it was much more back and forth between a couple right like in more time i'd have one for production and in out of war time i'd have one for I'd, I'd have the one that reduced the cost of of maintaining my armies um and that was essentially most of my military policy for three quarters of the game um and uh similarly like the the other policies just like the, none of them None of them felt so super impactful that I like absolutely needed to have any. Like there, there are some that were absolutely right. necessary, right? Like when I when I picked up a tech that caused an upgrade, switching in the one that made upgrades fifty percent less, you know, perfecto. Um, but a lot of them were like plus one something to something. It's like okay, that's nice. That'll sit there. They'll sit in the slot if I don't have anything better to put in the slot. Um, whatever. Um, and I felt that a lot of my my uh, my civics tree techs gave me a lot of cards that were like, um, you know, 
like like there's this class of cards that's like build X version of Y unit faster, and where X is an age and Y is is like you know a a a a, a category of unit, and like you know maybe I'd use the melee and ranged unit one, but rarely did I ever slot in the naval or the uh or or you know like the cavalry version of those. And those just felt like okay. dead text to me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I uh, I like the I, I like the civics in theory. I think their their execution is kind of mild, right? It's like fine, but I don't think it's quite in the bad territory. I get what they're going for, um, and I think that I think actually overall they just need kind of like one more policy slot in every government, and I might be a, a little bit more satisfied. Um, uh, that, because that makes sense. You you said you played a game where you're you're. Nation just yeah, had yeah because that's exactly what general, happened, right? right? Like, I, I kind of hit a point where I had, uh, 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 because I'm, I was playing Germany, which is like a very production focused kind of civ, and I was building all these great engineers and everything, and all of the kind of early great engineers are just like finish a wonder really fucking quickly, right? Like, I kind of in the mid game, which wasn't even before I broke away from the AI, um, uh, but it probably contributed to my breaking away from the AI. Uh, in the mid game, um, I just kind of got this streak of like great engineers and those wonders, like Forbidden Palace, which adds like a wild card slot. You know, like you're, you're just a couple of different wonders, and they each add slots. And then I'm playing Germany, which adds an extra military slot. Right, like I just had a lot of slots to work with, and so what I ended up with was a version of the slots where I probably had one or two cards, right? Like, for instance, I always had the decrease maintenance by one gold or two gold card, right? I always had uh, increase your influence points per turn. I was all about uh, becoming suzerain. Um, uh, I always had uh, the commercial buildings double, but then I was very dynamic with my other slots and I was swapping them in and out all the time, right? And so I would do that thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to go to war with fucking Congo because they're being douchebags, right? Slot in all of these military slots about production. Okay, cool. I now have the army I re require. Slot them out. Slot in combat bonuses, right? Or... Um, you know, uh, I'm I am working towards uh, uh, I I am at peace with everyone, and I want to further my culture uh, uh, advantage on them. Slot in all of these tour tourism policies, right? Or, um, uh, um, you, you, yeah, your right, point yeah, is well made. Um, I'm sorry, my computer. And, and I, I think I. I now so i got distracted <laughs> yeah i i feel like if i had a little bit more flexibility i'd feel less like i ha i had to have several policies in that i couldn't switch on i think i think that's a, a a very good point i also think that if they gave a little bit more that rode along with the like so many of the 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 adv advances in those trees are just new cards if they had just a little bit more for like some of the some of the text to have a little bit more that rode along with them i think it'd be better um just a little like i i think it's like 75 percent of the way there um i think that 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 could greatly help it too yeah uh well uh you know to be honest i haven't really exhausted this topic but um uh we have come to our time limit uh we have. i'm sure uh, i i plan uh, on playing some more civ almost kind of a, in a uh almost kind of in like a 
am I being too harsh on Civ perspective? I want to try out some some of the other Civs, some of the other victory conditions, some of the other difficulties to kind of see what uh, to kind of see what's what, and maybe I will revise my um, otherwise tepid review, I suppose. Um, maybe we'll get some mm. multiplayer in, and you can experience the joys of getting. I would really by love to friends. do that. Uh, you know what's um, funny about these multiplayer games, by the way? I am such a puss. Uh, I never want to fight. I am. I'm always like. I. I am always the guy that wants to do the thing where you tear down the leader, right? Like where where you go nuts. But I never want to like. I never really want to like get super involved, right? But I like. Except when right, I'm attacking no, Charles, exactly what I mean, right? right? Like if You're somebody, if somebody on my, this is what happened, right? We were in a three way game, um, where. We were in like a six-way game. We were just That's three true. of us on the um, same continent. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, Manga was winning a war, and so I decided to declare war on him to get him to get off Charles's butthole, <laughs> which was. And I, lo- yeah. I love those kind of politics. I love I love that kind of thing uh, in the game. But I am unfortunately the kind of guy that is going to make an alliance with someone and keep it for the entire game and never backstab them because I like being honorable and, you know, like that kind of thing. And then I lose, right? Like this happens to me all the time. So uh, actually, it's, it's, I, I know we're kind of dragging this out, but I, I it's interesting you bring that up because there isn't the, the, I played, I can't remember the name of the civilization, but it's thing was, is that the more like, as you fought, you got like more gold. And so once I started rolling, I couldn't stop because otherwise I'd go into crushing debt and my civilization would spiral out of control. So I kind of needed to attack Charles and have these long, yeah. prolonged wars. And there's no civilization like that in six. And I think that really contributes to your point that war should be brutal, short, and punchy. And you, you know, not rely on you being at war for like 7,000 yeah. years. So I think, I, I think that that's a good thing. Thumbs up there. Um, but yeah, any any last thoughts that you had? Now that I've I've kind of jumped in with that. No, no, no. Uh, you know, I uh, uh, I think we've uh, I think we've about covered it. We're going to be doing Doctor Strange next week, uh, dear listeners. So tune in for a little bit of a little change of pace. Yep. Um, I went and bought the Oath so I could read some oh, comics before I went and saw oh, it. I love Doctor Strange comics. Yeah, the Oath is pretty good. Um, uh, there's a. That's the one that's on, like, every, like, you should read this Doctor Yeah, I, I actually think it's not quite as good as, like, you know, it's one of, the, it's one of those things where um, uh, everybody goes bananas about it because it's kind of, Your Doctor Strange is, like, a lesser-known hero, and so it's easy to kind of just be like, oh, this, this book is the best one ever. But I actually think that there are a couple of them um, that, uh, that are also really, really good and really, really cool. Um, uh that 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 you should check out maybe i'll come with uh i i'm a huge i'm secretly a huge doctor strange fan he's one of my favorite marvel heroes it's like thor doctor strange silver surfer and so i have a lot uh i have a lot of baggage going into this one um but yeah yeah um if you'd like to email us and think, tell us what you think of Civilization VI or Europe Universe Health or Doctor Strange, you can at subderpsplaygames at gmail.com you can watch us on twitch at twitch.tv slash subderpsplaygames you can comment like comment subscribe on the soundclouds on the itunes on anywhere you post it we'll read it um and uh i think that's about it anything nope, else you want uh, to talk, buddy? i think we've uh, about handled it um thanks for tuning in loyal listeners uh until, until next, next time, time dear listeners